everyone. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. We're the high school ministry at the church at Rocky Peak, and we'd love for you to join us in person on Saturday nights at 530. For more info about the ministry and upcoming events, find us on Instagram at HSRevolution. We hope you enjoy this time of teaching from God's Word. Good evening. I had to switch it up, man. He walked by and made fun of me for saying, what's up, Revolution, every single time that the bumper ends. Because that's what I do. You know, you get into habits. What's up, Revolution? It's great to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm our high school pastor. I'm excited that you're here, especially if it's your first time. Yeah, I don't have shoes on. I don't know. Uh, after, you know, after Reed's announcements, I got I to gotta stay, like, light on my feet. Make sure I got, like, 10 minutes left for my message. So, uh that was impressive, dude. Those, those announcements have never sounded so exciting. Um, yeah, we would, we would love for you guys to be invited or like, to be a part of those things that we were talking about. I just really want to like uh, highlight a couple things that, that Reed was mentioning. Uh, one, right, summer camp is sold out. Upgrade always sells out. If you want to be a part of that, we want you to be a part of that. Um, Literally, while Reed is doing the announcement, someone else is texting me like, hey, if someone can't pay, uh, I'd love to be able to take care of that. And so we, like, we are always saying this, but we don't, we don't want money to be the reason that you're not a part of something that we're doing. And so if that has been holding you back for whatever reason, please talk to me afterward. We'll get you to, to be a part of what's going on. Uh, make sure you grab those summer calendars. We have a ton of ways for you guys to stay connected. Uh, we are so excited for what, uh, what God is continuing to do in this ministry, in our hearts. And these, are, these aren't just like fun things for us to do to like burn time over the summer. Uh, these are things that, that we do as a part of God's family to grow closer to each other and ultimately to grow closer to him. And so please be a part of those. Uh, and then, man, VBS is great. And so if you can volunteer and be a part of VBS, we would love to have you be a part of that. Um, it's a super exciting, super exhausting week, uh, but it is a, a ton of fun to see God just get a hold of sometimes these little kids and so for some of them to see him for the first time ever in their life. Anyway, I'm, I'm just as excited. Now I'm doing extra time on top of Reed's extra long announcements because the things that are going on are so exciting. All right, coming up, three minutes in the Word. All right, um, let me pray for us real quick, and we'll, we'll jump into tonight's message. Jesus, we thank you uh, just for your love and for you bringing us here. God, we, we know that you're, you're a God of joy. Uh, at this time of year, at the end of the school year, a lot of us are coming in feeling drained. We're feeling exhausted. We're maybe thinking about assignments that haven't been done yet or did get done, but not as well as we would have liked or, or whatever it is that's buzzing around in our head. And I just ask God that today, as we dig into your word as we encounter you, as we understand you better, God, would you produce in us uh, hearts that reflect yours? God, would you make us into people who are full of your love, full of your joy, uh, who are passionate about doing things that are good and kind? God, would you make us to be people who are, are self-controlled and would, be, would we be willing to live our lives for you because you gave your life, Jesus, for us? Uh, God, would, would tonight's message, God, would you help, would you help me to be clear as I speak? And would you clear all of our minds and our hearts? Would you settle us in so that we can encounter you, the living God, through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a fight with a close friend? And like, not like a little, like, like 15 second, like quick disagreement. Like, have you ever had like, like a fight with a close friend? Um, I, I'm not 
a high-conflict kind of person normally. And so I don't find myself throwing down with people, you know, every other week. Uh, but I remember one specific time that really stood out. A close friend of mine, uh, he came to visit me here at the church uh, in my office. Uh, it was actually, it was one of my, like, my old office, which is through that wall up there. I bet you didn't know that through that wall up above there, there are some offices. Um, that was where I was. He came in. He sat down. We were just talking about life. We were talking about things that were going on. A lot of times he would pop by my office and we would just be chatting. And so this particular day we decided uh, to keep the conversation going. We we're going to take a, a lap uh, around the church. I know a number of you, both staff and students, have come to talk with me about things. And a lot of times I'll be like, hey, let's, let's walk while we talk. Because for me, for whatever reason, it just kind of like conversation flows a little bit better that way. And so we're walking. I remember exactly where we were on the campus, on the lower lawn. There's this tree that's right by the playground. We're getting real close to that tree. Uh, and he's talking to me about this life situation that he's in. This isn't the first time we've talked about it. This isn't the third time we've talked about it. This is an ongoing thing that we're talking about. And I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember that it was recurring. And I remember looking at him and just... At, as a close friend can do sometimes, right? The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. I kind of look at him and I'm like, hey man, like we've, I've given this advice to you before. It just doesn't feel like you want to take it. Like it doesn't feel like this is what you want to do. And his, his face like changes in that moment. I can tell, right? But I just said, and I, I was intending for it to be, you know, like a, a challenge, but I can tell it, it cut deep. And out just come pouring all of the things that I have ever done. All the times, you know, I didn't answer a text message on time, uh, a time when I canceled plans, uh, just every, I don't even remember what all the things were, but it was like every stored little thing that I had no idea that he was holding on to. And so we hashed it out, we walked, and then by the time we've done like another half a lap, like, we've reached some rev resolution and we're, we're settling in a little bit and, and we're still friends now, but there, there's something about that moment when someone, and maybe you've had this too, where you're talking with someone and all of a sudden you realize that they've had all of this stuff stored up that they've never talked with you about and it just comes pouring out. Maybe you've had a disagreement with a parent and you, you know, whatever, you you weren't feeling it in the moment, you were upset, something changed, uh, they asked you to do something and you said no or you huffed about it or you didn't have a grace attitude and then all of a sudden comes like every time and just like now all of a sudden they're giving you the list of the 10 times that you've done something similar. Maybe you've had a close friend who for whatever reason something small happens and they blow up on you or maybe you've caught yourself sweeping stuff under the rug in a relationship where you just keep kind of ignoring the things that the person does until it hits that, that tipping point and then it all just comes flooding out and now it's not about the one thing that's being discussed, it's everything coming out. I bet you a lot of us in this room can can sympathize or empathize with being on one side of that conversation or the other. Or maybe we've been on both. Maybe we've had people dump on us and we've dumped on other people things that have been stored up that we didn't realize were there. And that's kind of, unfortunately, a part of human relationships. We don't always talk about a hurt or something that crosses us right as it happens. And we sort of know, and sometimes we're worried that, that someone might be storing up stuff against us and have that come at us. I think a lot of times that worry that stuff is being stored up against us exists in the back of our mind when it comes to our relationship with God. 
that when it comes to our relationship with God, we recognize that we, no matter how hard we try or what we want to do, that we don't do it perfectly. Right? The, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans how he finds himself doing the things that he doesn't want to do. And I, I think that often explains our relationship with God, that there are ways that we want to follow him, and yet daily, hourly, weekly, whatever it is, we find ourselves doing things that are like, ah, I did it again. And I think sometimes we worry that God is storing things up against us, that at some point we'll go to him and he'll have decided enough is enough. Or at some point, we'll go to him, and he won't be there for us because now we've crossed that threshold. Or that there's a way that, that we have to look over our shoulder, that at some point, he's going to visit this punishment on us for the little things that we've done kind of throughout time. We, we might worry at times that God is storing things against us. Today, today, I want to talk about why we don't have to worry about God's anger against us anymore. Why God's wrath is not something that we need to be concerned with in our life because of what God has already done. So we're in this series. We're getting really close to the end. Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week, we're going to be wrapping up this series. Our series is called Fulfilled, where we're looking at all of these things in the story of God and his people that have pointed towards Jesus, that Jesus has come to be the ultimate version of, the ultimate fulfillment of. Uh, like last week, we talked about how all of us, we were designed for relationship, we're designed for friendship, that friendship is an incredibly important thing, but there's a part of us that desires a friend who will always be there for us, and, and Jesus is that one who fulfills that desire, that he's the only one who will always unfailingly be there for us. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is how Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrifices that the rest of the Bible was pointing to him with. How Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice that satisfies our requirements to God. And so to do that, we kind of have to talk a little bit about sacrifices, why they happen in the Bible, what it is that they point to. Uh, and it, it can feel a little bit ancient. It can feel a little bit antiquated because, you know, most of us, we're not going out and taking a goat and like sacrificing it on an idol on a random Friday night. We don't have neighbors who are just like, hopefully not grabbing like a cat and just like, you know, whatever, but like, hopefully. Uh, sacrifices feel... They can feel odd, they can feel strange, they can even feel a little bit barbaric, it can be something that's hard to understand. But what we'll see as we dig in a little bit to understanding why they happen, it'll help us answer why we don't have to be worried about God at some point showing up and just being done with us and deciding that no longer is his love going to be enough, that now we're going to have to sit under his anger and his wrath. So you have some note sheets there. We've got a couple of fill-ins, a couple of things to walk through that are important to sketch out. Uh, kind of th this idea of sacrifice and how Jesus comes as this ultimate fulfillment of it. The first thing to fill in there is that all life belongs to God. All life belongs to God. 
Now, there's a couple of ways that we could take this. We've talked about before how God is the creator, right? And that he's made everything and that literally everything that is in existence has come about because of what he has done. And so in some sense, everything belongs to him because he made it. And that's true. But in specifically in the area of life, there's even more of a depth to that truth because what we see in the creation story is that as God creates and forms humanity, he has this lump that he's made out of the, out of the dirt of the, of the ground or the clay that he's, he's created humanity and then he, he breathes his breath into the first human. The idea being that the, the source of life that animates humanity, the actual life energy that we have, that comes directly from him. That it was something that was his, that he gave to us to be used as his people. And so not only does creation belong to him, but, but life itself that energizes and moves that is something that comes directly from him and belongs to him. The second thing that is important for us to recognize is something that's really clear in the Bible and relates exactly to this idea of sacrifice. Uh, it's the idea that, that sin, rejecting God, is death. That sin is death. That God is the source of life. And when we sin... That's us choosing to do our own thing. That's us deciding that God is not the most important, that God is not number one, that God's not the one to be served, that instead I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to do what I think is good. I'm going to do what I think is beneficial. And then in each one of those instances, that we're choosing to do something that's lesser than the good that God had in mind. And we're, we're choosing evil over what is right. We're choosing sin over obedience and we're moving away from God and we're choosing death instead of life. We see this super clearly in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve have rebelled against God, they've listened to the serpent, they've eaten the fruit and God shows up that, that one of the outcomes of that sin is that death enters into the story. That because of the rejection of the source of life, now, death is a part of what we experience. And we experience that in a, a final sense, where at the end of all things, we would be separated from God. We experience that like in our lived existence. We experience that our, our bodies don't function completely, that they're falling apart occasionally or all the time if you're getting to my age, uh, or like literally living in a walking state of death if you're like, I don't know, 40 plus. Um, just kidding, no one in this room is 40 plus, I don't think. Okay, I didn't insult anybody directly. I'll just listen to it later. Um, death is all around. We experience death in our relationships. When we choose to do things selfishly, right? how often have we experienced a relationship fracture because of someone's wrong choice? Death is all around and is intimately tied to sin, to rejection, rejecting what is good, rejecting the source of life. And so one important thing for us to understand is that 
God created this world to be filled with his goodness. He chose us as his representatives and he gave us choice whether or not we were going to do good and obey him or whether we were going to choose to be selfish and introduce evil into the world. And because God is good and because God loves what he made, he is going to remove evil. When we talk about God's wrath, when the Bible talks about God's wrath every single time, it is a function of God looking at his creation and removing evil. Like a doctor staring at cancer and needing to remove that. And when God looks at the world, there's cancer there. There's evil that needs to be cut out. And I think because the word that's often used in a setting like this is wrath. And if I were to describe, if I said I had a, a wrathful dad, or if, there, if you had a, a wrathful teacher, or we talked about like, oh yeah, so-and-so is great. They just, you know, get a little, they have a little wrath every once in a while. Like we, our idea of that term is someone who is either irrationally angry or unpredictably angry. Someone who you're hanging out with and then all of a sudden they snap and they're, they're throwing something across the room. They're lashing out at the people who they love where something is gone wrong, has gone wrong. But the picture of God in the Bible is never as someone who snaps, not someone who is irrational, not someone who's unpredictable. The idea is that all throughout time, there is the same standard of what is right and what's wrong, what is good, and what's evil. And that God will always have his intention to remove what is evil. That he would not be a good God if he did not have wrath for what's evil. And so, this predictable force of God is something that is pointed at and aimed at the things that need to be removed. But because all humanity sins, because every single one of us chooses to do what's wrong because we selfishly think it's better, we all fall under God's wrath. Not because he's irrational. Not because he's not loving enough because he loves his creation enough to desire that it be free from all evil, that it would be only good. And so because of that, because of humanity's sin and because of God's predictable nature to need to remove that out of his creation, God gave his people a way to delay that inevitable wrath as a way to satisfy the debt for what was stolen. And so that's the next fill-in, which is this. Because sin is death, a sacrifice of life is required. Because sin is so serious, because sin represents the ending of life, the opposite of being alive, 
the system that God set up in order for his people to come under some semblance of forgiveness, to have something covered in their life so that they could continue on in this world without him just completely having to remove them. The system that was set up was one that required life. And one of the things that stretches back way into ancient history that represents life is, is blood. Because we all, all, everything that has life and runs around is something that's pumping with blood. That For ancient people, that was a way that they understood. And God set up a system that completely fit in with their understanding. And he required that something die to take the place of what was owed. Because we had stolen the life he had given us and used it on our own. A debt of life was owed. Does anyone know... In the Bible, who offers the first sacrifice? What the first sacrifice that's made is? Does anyone know who's, who offers it? Everyone's afraid to answer. They're like, I feel like this is a trick question. What was that, Indy? Cain and Abel is close, but not quite. The first sacrifice that's offered to cover someone's sin it's like subtle, but it's there in the text. Good. The first, the first sacrifice offered is offered by God. God is the first one to sacrifice something to cover Adam and Eve. And so Genesis 3, 21, we'll put it up on the screen real quick. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned, after they've received the punishment for their sin. If you remember the story, right, they choose to do their own thing and all of a sudden they realize they're naked. Could you imagine realizing you're naked for the very first time, but like as a grown person, right? Like if you were like in high school and you've like, for whatever reason, it's never occurred to you that like not having clothes is a problem. And then all of a sudden you're standing there and you're like, oh, like that, that's the experience they go through. They grab leaves, they're covering themselves. God shows up. He lays out, hey, here's the punishment. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the separation between you and I. Here's the separation between you and each other. Here's the difficulty that's going to be going on in the world because of sin. Here's what death outlined is going to look like. And then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So God comes, and he takes the skin of an animal and covers them. And this is the first time that we see death being used to cover for sin. Something gave its life so that Adam and Eve could be covered. The most impactful sacrifice that happens in the Old Testament, the one that constantly goes, like they keep going back to over and over again, comes at the, the end of the, the 10 plagues. Right? So if you remember, Israel, has, they've become slaves in Egypt. Moses shows up. Right? Remember, you remember one of the hundreds of movies that's been made about this? Probably uh, Prince of Egypt, if you've like, watched anything animated in your life. It's a great movie if you've never seen it. Uh, Moses shows up because God has directed him to. God sends these nine plagues that Pharaoh doesn't listen to. And so God's now going to send the final plague where he, because Pharaoh has been so... Um, frustratingly like stubborn in his denial of what God's request has been, no matter the power that's been put on display, God's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a destroyer who will kill the firstborn child in every family because Pharaoh has brought this on himself because he has brought his entire nation against the God of life. Here's what is going to happen. 
And then he gives a specific outline to the people of Israel. Here is how you can make sure you don't fall under that same punishment. Because just as all of the Egyptians were guilty, Israel was guilty. They also had chosen their own way. They had been selfish many times in their own lives. And so God outlines, here's how you can make sure that you're covered. And so we see this in Exodus 12. We're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. He's saying, hey, this is going to be such an important thing that when you're setting up your calendar, this is the beginning of your calendar. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you'll take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So you imagine, you have to pick this lamb, and for four days now the lamb is like living with you in your house. Like you've, you've separated it, you've picked it. It's a, a perfect lamb, one without blemish. You're not going and picking the one where you're like, that one looks sick, it might not make it the four days anyway. Like you're picking one that's in great shape, and you're bringing it in, and then, on, then four days in, you have to kill it. They're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they're going to eat the lambs. That same night, they're to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Don't eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, ready to go. Your sandals on your feet. Oops. And your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's Yahweh's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of people of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so this becomes a picture for Israel for generations of God's grace and his provision for them. That they were stuck in slavery and that Pharaoh came against God's will so hard that God chose to take back some of what was owed to him. That because every life ultimately belonged to him, he came in judgment on Egypt. But Israel would have owed the same judgment. They too, they were not perfect people. And something had to be done to cover them. And God gave them a way to offer a life in place of their own and to mark by blood that they belonged to him. 
This idea of sacrifices, uh, a few chapters later, a few books later in the Bible, gets brought into explicit detail. If you've ever tried to like sit down and read the book of Leviticus, it can be a little, yes, exactly, a yawn. Good job, Ellie, yeah. Um, that it can be a little bit of a, of a yawn because it's, it's a book that just kind of outlines all of these very spe- specific things that were to happen. But under the law of Moses that was given to God's people as a way that they were to relate to him, the, the priests would make regular, repeated sacrifices on behalf of the people and on behalf of the priests themselves. There would be guilt offerings, there would be sin offerings, offerings of atonement in order to bring the people back into connection with God, and more. There were offerings for so many different things. There were reasons and necessity to offer life because life had been taken. The sacrifices they offered would only temporarily cover the sin of the people. So much so that the people whose job this was, it was their full-time job to day in and day out be offering sacrifices. And so, if we really want to highlight and nail down this point, it's this, your next feeling is that we owe God for the life we have stolen. We owe God for the life that we have stolen. He is the one who gave every person in this room the life that we have. And he gave it for a specific purpose. He gave it so that we would live connected to him. He gave it so that we would be able to have access to his goodness. He gave it so that we would re- 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 I can't say it. So that we would represent him well. He gave it so that by our lives experiencing him and shining him into the world that he would receive glory. And instead, we all have taken that life that he's given it given to us and use it for our own purpose, for our own desires, to push him away and choose ourselves instead. But because the life belongs to him, we owe him for the life that we've taken. And so God, from the beginning of time, has shown hints of ways for that debt to be taken care of. And it was through Jesus that he's been pointing to all along, that one came to completely take care of what we owed to him. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people in the river as a symbol of them deciding that they want to turn their life to God instead of what they have been living for. And he sees someone coming in the distance, uh, and he He has this moment as a prophet where God reveals to him who this person coming is. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, we see this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then a few verses later in verse 34, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. That John sees Jesus and God reveals to him, this is the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sin 
of the world. That the life that had been stolen was finally going to be repaid. And that the only one who could come to do it was God himself. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, coming as one of us to die in our place. The next fill on your sheet is that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Not just one in the line of many, not just like the big one that all the ones eventually added up to, not just like, you know, the others were like a, a two or three on a scale out of 10, and this is a 10 out of 10, but this, he is the ultimate completion of everything that those things pointed to. The people of Israel knew that it didn't make a whole lot of sense that their rebellion could be paid for by a lamb. There's a sense that like what they've taken from God is worth a whole lot more than like a lamb or a dove here and there or like a, a rabbit. I don't think they used rabbits, but if we were living here, there's rabbits everywhere. Uh, like it, they understood that that wouldn't be enough, that something had to come to be done. There was a reason that all of their sacrifices were monthly and weekly and daily and yearly and all of these sacrifices had to be repeated and repeated and repeated and then Jesus came to once for all pay the one and only sacrifice that was necessary. In Hebrews 7, 27, which isn't going to be up on the screen, but if you want to write that down for later, it says this, unlike the other high priests, they were the ones who would offer the biggest sacrifices at certain uh, holy days throughout the year. He, Jesus, does not need to offer a sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Or in 1 John 2, 2, where it says, he is the atoning or the, the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That Jesus came and he satisfied the requirement of what was owed to God. He came and paid back the life that we have stolen. Because of his sacrifice, we can have peace with God and we are no longer subject to his wrath. That the, the desire of a good God to remove evil, that that has now been paid for in Jesus. And he has taken us into his family, made us sons and daughters, and he is changing us from the inside out. And so it's because of what Jesus has done because he's the ultimate sacrifice that we don't need to worry that at some point God's grace and love for us is going to run out. That we don't need to be concerned that our inability to live up to what he's given us is going to result in us being kicked out of the family. Because his sacrifice was bigger than every wrong thing that we've done. And that doesn't mean that then we should just keep going and adding to the total of what it is that he had to pay for, but that instead now it offers us a reason to really truly chase after what is good, to chase a relationship with God because we don't have to worry anymore that there's something that stands in the way. We don't have to be worried about what God's attitude towards us when we walk in the door, when we go to spend time with him, when we go to worship him. We don't have to worry about how he's going to receive us 
Because what we've done that stood between him and us has been paid for and taken care of by what Jesus has done. And so there are three questions that I want to give you just to reflect on throughout this week as we are kind of like chewing on this idea of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so I'm going to give you these three questions. While I give you these questions, the band's going to be coming up. We have a, a couple more songs that we're going to do, and I want to encourage you just even to be like thinking this over in your own life um, during this time of worship. Uh, or it might spur in you a, a desire to go to God in prayer, and whether that's asking for forgiveness for something, thanking him for what he's done in your life, the way that he chose to be that sacrifice. And so I want to encourage you that if there is that reason to pray, like take it, take it to the wall, Pray in your seat. Pray where you're at. But here are the three questions. The first question is, do you believe that you can earn it? Do you believe that you can earn it? The Bible is really clear that we can't. The Bible is really clear that we can't be good enough to earn God's love, to fix our relationship with him. And yet I've known people who would say that they're Christians. I've known Christians who live their life like they're constantly trying to be enough for God. Like they're constantly trying to earn his affection. That they're constantly trying to earn his attention. And if that's you, I know that that's exhausting. And I know that oftentimes it feels defeating. And when it's not exhausting and defeating, I know it produces in us a sense of pride because now we think that we are actually good enough. So I want to encourage you that we will never be able to earn it but Jesus has already done it for us. This isn't another A to study for. This isn't another 100% that needs to be earned. This isn't, this isn't, there isn't like a secret hidden AP test at the end of the world that you, ha- like you have to make sure that you get that in order to have a GPA good enough for God to like you. Jesus did it. He's taken care of it. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And you can't do one single thing to make God love you more than he already does right now. The second is, have you accepted his sacrifice as your covering? Have you accepted his sacrifice as your covering? A lot of times, because we know what Jesus has done, we've been in an environment like this, we've heard this story before, we've heard about Jesus' sacrifice before, because we have the knowledge, we think that that's the same as having accepted the forgiveness that he offers us. But the difference between knowing and accepting is when we lean on what he's done, when we truly trust that he really has paid for it, when we trust him to have taken care of our sin, when we trust him to have made our relationship right with God, and when we start living out that trust, not just having knowledge, but putting into practice, living our lives differently because of how he has shown up for us. And the last question is this, is will you give your life in return for his? Jesus came to restore our relationship with God so that we can live with God, so that we can live our life for him, so that original idea of us being people empowered by God to live and represent him so that that could be something that's restored to us. And so are we going to be people who he dies for, who then say, hey, thanks, thanks for the forgiveness. I'm going to keep doing things my own way. 
Because if, if that's what we're doing, we've missed the whole problem that there was in the beginning. That doing it our way and for ourselves, that that's what landed us in this spot to begin with. Jesus wants to show us something better, but it requires us to have him be the king of our life instead of being our own shot callers. Let me pray for us as we go into this time of worship. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us that is infinite and unending. I thank you, God, that in the past you made a way for your people to be connected with you, that you showed them specific ways that they could acknowledge the debt of life that they owed you. And I thank you, God, that you have satisfied everything that those old sacrifices paid for. I thank you that we don't have to worry about making our daily sacrifices anymore or our weekly or our yearly. And instead, you are our once for all. That we don't have to worry about what we did this week, today, this afternoon. That we can know that you've paid for it all. I thank you that no matter how good we think we are when we're not, or how terrible the things that we have done weigh on our shoulders. God, I pray that no matter where we stand, I, I thank you that we can come to you and that you've paid for it all. I thank you, Jesus, for being our ultimate sacrifice. And I ask that we would live our lives given over to you, filled with and empowered by the life that you've offered us. In Jesus' name, amen.